Hello, writers. I'm Britt Three, and you're listening to College Writing Actually, where we talk about the how-to and how-come of college writing and writing instruction every other Wednesday while school's in session. Today, I'm joined by Megan Gonzalez, a doctoral candidate in the Brown University Neuroscience Department and a tutor in the University Writing Center. Thanks for joining us, Meg. Thanks for having me, Britt. So we're doing a trilogy of episodes on how do you actually write a research paper in the disciplines. Meg, you're talking to us about how to actually write a research paper in STEM. Oh, yes, I am. I'm very excited to talk to you more about it. Well, good, because <laughs> I have a lot of questions. I know very little about writing in STEM. I am from the humanities, literature, novels, that's my back. So I will truly be standing in for the reader, for the listener, and asking all the questions and clarifications as you talk us through. So starting off with a fundamental question, what is the difference between STEM writing and like social sciences or humanities? Yeah, so actually as someone who used to major in English My way, people! way back in the day, yes. <laughs> like a decade ago, um, I used to know almost literally nothing about STEM writing myself. In my opinion, now knowing what I know, the difference really lies in a couple things. So mainly the rigorous structure of a STEM research paper and really in the hypothesis statement. Hypothesis. It kind of sounds like a thesis. They're related. They're cousins. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. In terms of a hypothesis, it's actually quite a lot like a thesis statement. So as it guides the reader through the main argument of the paper, you're really like leading them down a path, um, much like a thesis statement. Um, However, when we think of STEM hypotheses, they have to be falsifiable and testable. Um, The argument or cause and effect proposed has to be based on the existing evidence out in the literature. So either something you collected or something another research group has collected. Um, If your results from your experiment prove your hypothesis incorrect, that is totally fine. It may feel like the end (gasps) of the world, I know, but it's not. Um, And we call that actually rejecting your hypothesis. Um, So though your findings can confirm your hypothesis in your paper, it probably won't hold true 100% of the time. I wish y'all could see my face. I'm literally like, it's not computing what you're saying. That's already night and day from humanities writing. If you disprove your own point by the end of the paper, your argument failed. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I know that feeling very well from uh, back in my literature um, days, which is why this can feel just so counterintuitive. If you're used to writing humanities papers like I was, it was very uh, culture shocky um, (laughs) when I started um, doing STEM work. Um, In STEM, it's, you know, it's less about proving your point or your hypothesis hypothesis and more about accurately and appropriately exploring your hypothesis to see what the where the evidence actually lies. And I'll talk more about this later, but proving your hypothesis wrong is normal, acceptable, and completely appropriate. Mm. So not everything scientists predict will come true, and that's okay. It's just what the data is. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. These differences are blowing my humanity's mind, but okay, I'm going to trust you (laughs) for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes, whatever. Sure. And then you said the second major difference for STEM is a rigorous structure. So because in humanities, where things go is not necessarily earmarked ahead of time. Mm -hmm. There's the intro, there's body paragraphs, there's a conclusion. But STEM has literal sections that have to be there, right? Yeah, exactly. That's completely correct. 
Okay, so we have the fundamental differences. Let's get into these gotta be there sections. Writers, grab your notebooks. Meg, lay it on us. You know, please. All right, all right. So in STEM writing, there are typically five main pieces of a paper or a publication if you decide to publish. Um, They are, one, the abstract, two, the introduction, three, the method section, four, the results, and five, the discussion. Any scientific paper, regardless of the field, will probably be outlined in this manner. It's just like the bread and butter of what we do. (laughs) That is so intimidating. That's so (laughs) intimidating to me. I'm thinking about students who are used to social sciences or humanities, my people, but are taking a STEM class perhaps for the first time, and I'm just shuddering for them. But we're here to help y'all. Yes, we are here to help. And writing a STEM paper, I just want to come out and say it, can be really difficult and challenging process for anyone. So even the most senior academics and professors may struggle to get their ideas organized on the page. So before you start writing, remember, please, please, please be kind to yourself Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that this is really, really hard. Of course, if you are struggling, reach out to your mentor, your professor, lab mates, colleagues, university writing center like me and Britt, um, um, you know, just for help with getting started. Um, But really, with any form of writing, especially STEM writing, make sure you are exploring a topic that you are passionate about. Mm -hmm. I really can't underscore this enough. This is just another tip to keep in mind if you're deciding on a thesis project or deciding to join a lab that will give you the opportunity to publish. It will be so much more fun and so much worthwhile, and it will shine through in your writing that you really enjoy what you're talking about. Yeah, that's always solid advice. Thank you. Okay, now that we've soothed any anxious <laughs> listeners by proxy, I'm the proxy, <laughs> we can get into the nitty-gritty of each of these sections. Let's walk through what they do and some okay. tips on knocking them out. For sure, yeah. So when it comes to actually writing a research paper, I would suggest writing these following sections in this very specific order. So <laughs> All the specificity is giving me hives. Yeah, no, don't. Uh, it sounds scarier than it is, but it's it's methods. Write your methods section first then your results section, the introduction, the discussion, and then the abstract. I cannot understand that logic (laughs) because it's not even just backwards. It's all over the place. Meg, explain yourself. Oh, yeah. No, the first time I wrote a paper, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Someone please throw me like a lifeline or, you know, something to help me. But there's actually a really good reason for suggesting all of this. So I suggest this method when you're really struggling to get anything down on the paper because methods can be really straightforward. Start Mm. with the method section. This section merely comprises the steps you've already taken to conduct your experiment. So it's just written out in a highly detailed and logical form. So when writing method sections, think about it as an instruction sheet that you'd get one putting together like a piece of Ikea furniture, you know, something very direct and something easy to follow. So any person should be able to use your method section and repeat your procedures and analyses and hopefully, fingers crossed, obtain the same results. And this is really what makes science reproducible. Okay, y'all excuse my little snort in the middle of Meg's very wonderful Example. I just think it's hilarious that you chose Ikea. Yeah. Which... <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. That was probably not the best choice. <laughs> um, 
infamously <laughs> difficult to follow instructions. Nobody I have ever met can put IKEA furniture together without trials and tribulations. Yeah, but please yeah, continue. Okay, so methods should be straightforward and reproducible. Roger that. After that, they got results. We're on to results. Yes, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. I guess I should have picked something maybe like turning on like an Apple computer or something. Like the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the instructions are super simple. Something that could perhaps go well. Yeah, something that can go well. I want this to go well for all of you. So, <laughs> so forget IKEA. Um, but here for the next part, the results section, I would recommend writing the results next because theoretically, if you have your methods written out and completed, you should hopefully have your results. Um, if you're uncertain about how to organize them, I suggest really writing out your main findings and a bulleted list, and then you can go back in later to flesh out your sentences and paragraphs. I literally just did this writing my dissertation, so mm-hmm. it was it was a full bulleted list of statistical findings, nothing in complete sentences. So, you know, once you have the methods and results sections under your belt, or at least a draft of them, take a moment to congratulate yourself because you're halfway through writing your paper. It may not feel like it yet, but this is a really big accomplishment. Um, You know, you've already gotten really two difficult sections down. And in terms of next steps, I would suggest fleshing out your introduction. Okay, let's address this. In humanities, a lot of people advise the intro to go last because then you can write the correct introduction to match your argument. But you're saying to write it in the middle of the process. Oh, yes. Which, again, is very counterintuitive. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, Britt, that's a brilliant point you're making. Oh, well, so you. No, it's, it's seriously, because this is something that I've always wondered about, too, or when I initially started writing in STEM, this was uh-huh. something that really confused me. Um, so with writing introductions in STEM, you should already have your hypothesis written out and decided upon. That should be like step one of mm. when you start writing. So your intro is really about leading your reader to your specific hypothesis that you've already come up with. And in science, we call that a priori, um, regardless if your hypothesis confirms your results. So I just want to say that again and underscore it. It's write your hypothesis regardless if it confirms your results and write your intro regardless if it confirms your hypothesis. The discussion is where you can explain your findings and if they matched your hypothesis, you can discuss why or why not. But we can talk more about that soon. So thinking a little bit about intros, which, you know, have a lot of similarities and differences Mm -hmm. in the humanities and in STEM, you know, your introduction should really convince your reader why your work is so important and necessary based on the existing literature. And like I said before, this can be literature that you've found from other researchers or your own findings. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very, in my Boston way, very wicked <laughs> visual learner. Um, oh, so I I think of the structure of an introduction as the shape of a funnel or an upside down triangle. Okay. So we're starting off really broad with big strokes and working our way down to an idea that is finite, testable, and very specific. So for a typical introduction, I like to start off generally with what is known in the field. Then with each paragraph, it is important to introduce what's unknown. 
And finally, you should explicitly state what the gap we want to fill in with our research is and why do we want to fill it in? Why is it so important that we actually conduct this research? Um, and again, you know, we're going from big, broad ideas to something super specific that will direct the remainder of our paper. So think of this section as letting your reader know the background of the field and where you want to take it. Okay, so it's a bit like a literature review and a statement of intervention. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly it. Okay, and this section is a single paragraph or longer? Yeah, so it's definitely more than a paragraph. It okay. should be like a section. Uh, you know, I like to say that it should be, which may not be helpful, it should be as many paragraphs necessary for you to get your point across okay. in a logical and clear manner. Um, so typically like, you know, like five, six, seven paragraphs. Wow. Um, yeah, but they should be um, pretty short and concise. Okay, okay. Okay, so we've got the methods, we got the results, we got the introduction. I still cannot believe this order, <laughs> but we're on to the discussion. Now, I can sure enough have a deep discussion with an empty room, but what you talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking about your explanation as to why your hypothesis stands as is. Um, then your methods and results, the the results they produced, your results are either going to refute or accept your hypothesis. So many people, including myself, okay. get wrapped up in this piece of writing because we take our science and our hypotheses so personally. It can mm. almost feel like an extension of yourself. So I really, really, really want to emphasize that finding opposite results or non-significant results is fine. Good science isn't significant science. Good science is well-informed and rig rigorously carried out science, significant or not. Wait a minute. We got to get into that word. Turn to your neighbor and say, good science <laughs> is a significant science. Hey, receive it today. Go ahead, man. We're receiving that on today. Yes. <laughs> this, If I could stress anything a million times over, that would be it. But this mm. is why the discussion is so important. This is your place to discuss why you potentially found what you found. So maybe there were flaws in your experimental design or maybe there was a confounding variable or factor that you didn't consider. This is where you can delve really deep into the literature and explain why or why not your results don't hold up next to other similar studies in your field. Okay, so basically you just got to tell the story to whatever end. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I'm feeling through the atmosphere. I am feeling the energy of someone is reaching me, a nervous listener who is saying, this sounds like a meteor section. That listener would like a note on how to eat this elephant. Can you break down the bites? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, again, this is really challenging. Uh, discussion sections, I would say, are always what I struggle with the most. Okay. Um, so regarding the specifics of how it should flow, I suggest the following order. So typically you want to restate the main objective of your paper and your hypothesis. Then you want to explicitly state your findings in a nice, quick, easily digestible form. Mm -hmm. Next, you're going to want to discuss how your findings do or don't fit in with what has already been found. Next, you're going to provide provincial, potential explanations for this. So, you know, as someone in the, in the life sciences and neuroscience, I like to think of like biological processes or something that can explain, you know, why what's going on is going on. Okay. Next, you're going to talk about the importance or novelty of your research and what should be done in the future to expand these ideas. So this is really an awesome opportunity to kind of set the path forward for your research and for other people. 
um, then it's always really important to talk about the strengths of what you found. So maybe you had a really big sample size, maybe you used really rigorous statistical analyses, whatever it may be. Um, and then you want to talk about the limitations and don't be afraid to talk about them. Um, it's totally fine if your sample size was small or, you know, you didn't have the best data. That's research. That's science. So mm -hmm. as long as you explicitly state it, you're you're good. And finally, a concluding paragraph that summarizes the entire paper. So I like to end my conclusions with like a call to action. So I study mental health and neuroscience mm -hmm. and neuroscience-based interventions for treatment-resistant depression. Okay. So what can we do to really make, you know, these treatments more accessible or how should we expand upon them to help more people? Okay. So that's what I mean by a call to action. Okay. So those were eight steps of, you know, sort of how you eat the elephant of the discussion section. <laughs> I hope you have your notepads out. If you missed it, hit that remind 30 second button and go back and get your blessing. Meg, listener <laughs> says thank you. And with that, I do believe we are at the end, or at least we can see it. We can see the end. Yeah. And since we can see the end, it's time to go back to the beginning and write <laughs> the abstract. Okay, so I'm just going to say out of my mouth right here today, writing abstracts is its own beast. And I'm definitely sensing in the atmosphere listeners wanting very specific direction on what is expected there. Absolutely. Yeah. So abstracts are going to be the first thing that you see in any scientific paper underneath, mm -hmm. you know, the, the title and the author's names and their affiliations. So typically abstracts are between about 200 and 300 words and can be structured, meaning they have explicit sections that are broken down into intro methods, results and discussion, or they can be non-structured and just kind of be one giant paragraph. Oh, excuse me. So even if we have sections in the abstract, we still keep in that capped at two to three hundred words. Yes. OK. Um, I view each section of the abstract as quick summaries of your main points. So remember, a lot of the time people will only read your abstract because they're trying to find research that's necessary to what they're doing. So it's important that it is well organized, thought out and really highlights your findings and their importance. Okay, so since this may be all anyone reads, that means this is the place to put all your $5 words. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no. No. Put your $5 <laughs> words back in your wallet. Okay. Yeah, so as a former English major, I used to love using flowery language, rhetorical devices, mm -hmm. and sometimes overly complicated sentences. Shelved sentences were my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, so I know this is a different preference for everyone, but also I enjoyed using adjectives and adverbs to describe actions and ideas. Mm -hmm. So I think um, description and detail are truly the zest of life yes. um, whenever I'm talking or, <laughs> you know, in my former English major days, but STEM writing really steers you away from this. So unlike humanities writing, STEM writing should be devoid of adjectives or adverbs and ultimately be straightforward and really concise. Mm -hmm. So I used to think this made 
this form of writing really boring and I was like why would I ever want to do anything in STEM that's not my flowery (laughs) fun language that I use but it really allows the reader to make an informed decision about your methods and your your results Mm -hmm. so it can be really really difficult to fit a lot of complex ideas into one sentence so you're better off breaking ideas down sentence by sentence if we think about this from you know a musical perspective I played the clarinet for like 10 years I was awful at it total squid bird but you know but we can think of these sentences as very staccato you know like one immediately after another so I have three pieces of advice or tips that I always give as a writing associate I guarantee I repeat them every um, writing session that I have here Um, but the first one is that each sentence should only express one idea that's where the staccato comes in so it's a lot of different sentences different ideas Two, if your sentence goes on to four or more lines, it might be worth breaking down into separate sentences or using a semicolon. And three, if you ever get stuck on what you're trying to write out in a clear way, look away from your paper and pretend or actually talk to a friend and state in just plain language the main idea of what you're trying to say. Oftentimes I ask students, what are you trying to say? Just explain it to me in simple terms. And when they do, it sounds excellent. And this is because they're less worried about what the writing actually sounds like. And they're just trying to get the main main point across so that way you can continue the conversation. This should be the same line of thought with writing. And it's, of course, harder to translate this onto the page. So I almost say immediately after they say, write it down, write it down. And they're like, really? Um, But that's exactly what should be written down in their paper, the clear, very direct point. Okay. Wait, are we actually at the end end now? This is unbelievable. <laughs> what? I'm not even prepared. That was a lot of information in a fairly concentrated amount of time. So definitely, listeners, feel free to go back and listen to it. But it's still going to be a lot on the replay. So I would also encourage you to go section by section as you're trying to apply this advice. And even when you do, please remember that drafting drafting, right? I-N-G, that present progressive, hey, humanities, that (laughs) present progressive now, like it is a process. It is going to be something that is continual. It's a part of the drafting process. I mean, it's part of the writing process. So you don't have to get this paper done in one. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. So just embrace the crappy first draft. We all have to. Oh, totally. Um, you know, drafting is a difficult but necessary process. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes for STEM, humanities, whatever it may be. This is for any type of writing. Yes. So the first version of all of your sections um, will most likely need editing. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, every great scientist and writer revises and no one writes, you know, a nature paper. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that's like the, the top tier type of paper. But no one writes it in a single sitting or without input from mentors and colleagues. A lot of times um, the edits or track changes, if you're using Word or mm-hmm. Google Sheets, um, or sorry, Google Docs, um, will feel discouraging, you know, especially seeing all that red on a page. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I've had it before. Um, But it really means um, that your co-authors believe in you and want the paper to be the best it can be. So as I said before, I started out college as an English major, and now I'm getting my PhD in neuroscience. Yeah, you are. Yeah. (laughs) I'm telling you, little Meg, a decade ago, never, never, never thought that 
she was smart enough or good enough to be a writer in STEM. It, I think my insecurities stemmed a lot from stemmed <laughs> a lot from what I experienced in high school. But neither of those things were or are true for me or for any of you listening. So a good scientist is truly someone who is passionate about their work and views everything, so experiments and the writing component, as an imperfect recursive process. So I hope this discussion, you know, has been helpful and demystified the scientific writing process and really helped you to see that anyone, truly anyone, can be a scientist. What an encouraging word to end on. Writer, speak to yourself and say anyone could be a scientist. Receive that. <laughs> Thank you, Meg. This episode is a part of a Papers in the Discipline series. Each episode has centered on writing a paper in the three major field sectors, humanities, social sciences, and STEM. Once again, definitely save and share if they've been useful to you. Shout us out on the Twitter. If your spirit <laughs> is super moved, there remains an open invitation to DM the Twitter uh, questions or topics. You may hear them in a future episode and following College Writing Actually on the Twitter and adding it to your playlist on your preferred streaming platform is the best way to catch those upcoming episodes. Until then, we out of here. Y'all right on. Bye.